0: Welcome, adventurers, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 71 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, and King Scott here. Scott, we got a fun episode today. We got some audio coming in. We're reviewing the spill, and we close it all up with some questions. Good episode coming up.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 we got all sorts of stuff going on here, and I, I see that we have some uh, things coming back from older episodes, it seems.
0: Yes, we do, Magical Friends. We mentioned it last regular episode, Magical Friends is back on Kickstarter, so you know how I made a big deal about wanting to be backer number one, but last year I ended up as backer number four. Didn't quite get All number right. one. And I, I had a strategy in mind as okay, if I get on and I just pledge a dollar and quickly like click through, I can be number one. I can be it. <laughs> Scott, I'm back or number four again. Well, hey, it's consistent. I <laughs> Thanks. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> that said, Magical Friends, that was episode, I think, 31 from a year ago. Really excited about wow. that Kickstarter. And it is back on the Kickstarter front. Scott, I have two notifications for two incoming games. We're seeing pictures of ISS Vanguard. People mm. are starting to get it in Australia. I, I think they're the first batch getting it. I haven't got my tracking yet, but I have all the, like, your shipping has been confirmed. Like... Things are happening. It's coming. It's going to be here soon. And <laughs> War Room, the Larry Harris game. Larry Harris, uh, he designed Axis and Allies and so mm. many of its iterations. He has War Room, which is kind of the big, like, big brother, next step up kind of game. I pledged to that a year ago, and it is on the way.
1: Oh, fantastic. I know. I've gotten one Kickstarter back. One I'm hey, still waiting key. on. We got to, well, we got Block and Key. Mm-hmm. And then also, I'm still waiting for Blazing since you either got it at Gen Con. <laughs> I'm like, I'm waiting for that one. But I just got my copy of They Live, Assault on Cable 54. This is based on that old mo- John Carpenter movie, They Live. If you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. It's I haven't awesome seen it. It's an awesome movie. What? I haven't seen it. What?
0: I oh know. my goodness. And I'm telling you, The Thing is like my favorite horror movie. It is my favorite movie Maybe, maybe favorite movie. Well, it's my favorite horror movie anyway, and uh, I'm yes. guessing this is somewhere in that vein. Obviously, different story and whatnot, but similar feel, oh, similar yes. tone.
1: No, no, it's it's its own tone. It's it's very very cool. A lot of subliminal messages. So you get the subliminal messages in this game as well. Mm-hmm. So you take a look at everything. Everything's there, but then you put on the sunglasses, and oh, there's stuff there that wasn't there before. So you see words like consume or reproduce and all these subliminal messages put in there. I mean, there's a ton of stuff in this box. It looks great. It just comes in a white box and it just says consume on the front of it. (laughs) Like those, uh, Whenever generics started coming out the first time, you would see them in the grocery store. Everything would just be white with black letters. Green
0: beans. So that's what this is.
1: (laughs) Favorite part about it is the dice. The dice aren't normal. They are bubblegum dice. And if you've seen the movie, you know what the bubblegum means. Okay. But it's four of the sides of it have chew bubblegum and two of the sides have kick ass. Those are the way that- What's that?
0: two things I need to do and I'm all out of bubblegum.
1: Yes. Isn't that- There's a
0: quote somewhere in there.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I came here to do two things, chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Very Nice. So uh, that's how you figure out whether or not you pass the test or not. So you need to kick ass in it. So <laughs> I'm anxious to jump in on that one. And we'll be talking about that one definitely much more in the future.
0: How about I saw the Storm Hero Pack is coming to Marvel Champions. Are you going to get this one? Oh,
1: yeah. Do you have uh,
0: everything Marvel Champions?
1: I have everything. Oh. Everything that's come out, except for like there were some special promos for the core set. Uh, I do not have those, but this is a game that I have purchased everything. I see the Storm pack's coming out, and so far, the X-Men are coming into Marvel Champions. Mm-hmm. So we got Storm, Colossus, Kitty Pride, or Shadowcat, Jean Grey, Wolverine, and my personal favorite is Cyclops. And yeah. that one's coming out as well, too. And I just reorganized my collection. That's like my moment of zen.
0: Yeah, I saw you sharing sure, pictures Orbs. of it.
1: You're so like, oh, you were just at so peace. much fun. <laughs> just getting ready to set it up and take on the Galaxy's Most Wanted campaign and play through that. I have yet to be disappointed by this game. This game has been a lot of fun. There have been some that just miss a little bit, mm-hmm. some of the hero packs. But other than that, it's been an absolute joy playing this game.
0: I see Magic the Gathering in the notes, and I didn't put it there. What's up with this?
1: No. For some reason, whenever I get lost, uh, I fall down a rabbit hole of YouTube sometimes. Uh-huh. As I was doing that, I saw people talk about Magic Commander, how that's like the new top way of playing. And I'm like, ah, yesterday at the shop, I'm looking at those. I'm thinking, maybe I might get one of those. All right. But you kind of talked me out of it.
0: <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I'm all the right, of all reason. right.
1: Yeah, so I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to play And lo and behold, what comes up on my Facebook feed today, Magic and 40K are coming together. And they're coming out with 40K commander decks. So Warhammer 40K and Magic the Gathering are combining forces. They're coming out with Imperium, Chaos, Tyranid, and Necron commander decks. And oh, I am just chomping at the bit to take a look at these things.
0: Alright, look, I don't ha- I don't even own a magic card. Scott, at name a magic card. At some point, I owned a copy of it. I- I've done everything with Magic the Gathering that-, that I could possibly do. I don't own a single card anymore. I sold them out. You're not kidding. Commander has gone. Hog wild! I when I sold out, I think Gaia's Cradle was like eighty bucks. It's an old land you tap; it, you get a green mana for every creature you have on the board. And I was talking with Stu the other day. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's like a thousand dollars now." Like, no, Jeez. no, get out of it. He's like, "No, I'm telling you, Commander has continued to blow up to the extent that some of these cards are just wild. Their prices are ins- <laughs> like I can't I can't look at Magic prices anymore because I get I get kind of sick." <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like I don't have the story of oh, I sold my Black Lotus for a hundred dollars. No, I st- I made some decent money on my Lotus. Not what they sell for now, man. Just like six years ago to now, it's like holy smokes. Who gonna who I tell you what. Do we know two other people that had uh, like you said? There's four different forty k decks. I would get back in just to do the casual commit. Like we could have an yes. evening and play. I'd I'd be down
1: for that. We could even talk about uh, talk about it on the show. That, I mean, that's what I always, I always look at magic as just being a fun game to pop out and play. And that's it. I'm not into, I'm going to collect all the decks. I'm going to collect all the cards. I need to buy this card for X amount of money. No, I just want to sit down and play. Now, if you looked at those here, what ones would jump out at you? Imperium, Chaos, Tyranids, or Necrons? You know what? I don't know enough about
0: 40K. I know that the Necrons are the skeleton guys. Um, yes. I, I actually, bat- when I was in college, my buddy was into Warhammer and I have an artistic, I don't want to say talent, but I, I can, I can draw, right. I can paint. Mm-hmm. I'm not that good with minis, but he was like, "Will you paint my, Patrick, will you paint my minis? <laughs> I was like, you know what, Herbie? I will. So, uh, I painted his Necron army. I remember that. So I, I guess Necrons would be my pick.
1: Okay. What about okay. you? Which, which one are you going to go with? Oh, I'm, I'm always, uh, with the good guys, So I got to go with the Imperium.
0: What colors? I would okay, if they're the good guys, they're probably white or blue white. Chaos is going to be red. Tyranid, I think those are the creatures, the the like
1: Yes. the, the monsters. They'll probably be green.
0: Probably green cuz they're creatures and Necrons will be black cuz they're like yeah. undead
1: kind of. That'd be my guess.
0: Okay. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll take you up on that. And we'll we'll play a little 40k. Magic thing Well, Gathering that's not coming Commander. out till October, so we got to we got some time to wait. Okay, after Pittsburgh Gaming Con, which is on the 1st and 2nd in Monroeville, the PGX Retro Gaming Con. We keep calling it the Retro Con, so if you didn't catch it in a previous episode, this was a convention founded on video games,
2: old school yes. video
0: games, but they've expanded. They're getting into like tabletop and RPGs, Steel City Gaming, they're going to be holding down uh, most of the board gaming with all the board gaming tables that they have. You and I are going to be doing some demos. I think we decided on Ready Set Bet and Cartographers for our official table demo time, but swing by the booth. We're mm-hmm. going to have uh, we're going to have some merch. We don't do a lot with merch, but we're going to have some hats, we're going to have some uh, some drawstring bags filled with coins for your gaming needs. Uh, we got a few things plus we're going to be doing a little gaming by our table too. So make sure you stop by and check us out.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a really, really good time here. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in October. The Commander Decks, we got the RetroCon going on, and I see you have one other thing here for October.
0: Yeah, Lunar Rush is coming out on October Well, coming out. It's going to be on Kickstarter October 6th. We did the side quest for this. I'm telling you what, man. I Brian got to play this at Gen Con. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Nikki got to play it at Gen Con. She's like, you need to message them and see if we can get a copy to show off at the PGX Retro Con in October. I was like, (laughs) I will do that. So we have one coming in. Bernie's uh, got a copy on the way to us. So we'll be showing that one off too. That reminds me, I got an email notification that something was shipped and it didn't say what. Maybe that's what's coming Uh, in today. So maybe I'll do a little lunar rush in the basement. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) Uh, Scott, I did notice while I'm browsing through Kickstarter that uh, – well, not Kickstarter. This one's on Gameforge or GameFound, actually. It's the okay. uh, Keyforge. They have a new Keyforge. You, you'll recall there was a while where the algorithm was broken. Oh, yes. You remember hearing about – okay. So for those of you that don't know, Keyforge is a game where instead of building your deck, you get a sealed deck of – I think it's like, like 40 cards in there. You're not allowed to change anything about it. You're not allowed to swap cards in and out. What you get is what you get, and the idea is – You can't go online and net deck. You can't just play what the pros are playing and become good at it. No, you've got to master what you've got. Now, there are going to be decks of varying power levels, whatever, but the way that they make these decks is via a computer algorithm, ensuring that no two decks in existence are the same. Every deck is unique. Right. There's some problems that arise with that because they also applied an algorithm to the naming. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> when oh I, saw, I was telling Jimmy about this, I you know, I, I'm going to share this one on this show. I think a lot of folks know about it, but when Keyforge was making their name some time ago, it was also done via an algorithm. Kind of like, you know, how you see on Facebook, it's like, what's the the... Color of your shirt and the last thing you ate. That's your rock and roll name. Okay, Scott. Color of your shirt. What Loud. It, uh, I guess – are you wearing a Hawaiian shirt again? Yes, I am. What's the uh, – Scott, pick a Blue. color. Oh, thank you. Blue. What's the last thing you ate? Bagel. And There you go. Blue Bagel. That's your rock and roll name, right? It, that sort of thing. Like take take this and that and put it together and voila, you've got the name of a deck. And that's what they did with Key Forge. And unfortunately, it gave us some gems that actually they had to since – Banned the fantasy flavor is like nope, you're not allowed to play this deck. I think the deal was you could send it in and get two decks in return.
1: But man, I'd I'd rather just keep (laughs) keep the deck. While you're talking here, I was just looking. (laughs) I'd love it. Empty Antagonizer of boys.
0: (laughs) There's a deck. It's called the the Emperor that pays for boys. Oh, that got dark. (laughs) That's a deck. Oh, we got Tomb Dirk, the teacher of socialism. Oh my goodness. It that wickedly supports taxation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could sit here and do my favorite these all day. The child who terribly fears <laughs> <father>. the church. <laughs> oh, oh God. You can't make these up. All right, all
0: right.
3: Scott, we're, I got, we're, we're I got Wang, here.
0: the suddenly <laughs> bruised <laughs> <laughs> the villain that digs up porridge. <laughs> Okay, you're right. We're, we're going way off on a tangent. Let's get things back on track. Let's start up the episode. Do you want to talk a little recent adventures? Okay, that
1: sounds good to me.
0: Scott, I'm going to lead off with a game called Patriot. This one's actually uh, – both of mine are going to be sort of adventures on the horizon. So these are kind of previews for your adventures, something to uh, to look forward to. Patriot is a hidden traitor game where players are trying to protect the president amongst all sorts of turmoil, right? Essentially, the game's gonna play over the course of five days, which are basically rounds where the game's gonna present players with like an obstacle to overcome, lest they, they suffer consequences. Like at the start of each day, you open a note and that's the ultimatum from, from the bad guy. And here's the demands <laughs> that you need to meet, right? There's four primary sections of the board that you'll be using to maintain order. And generally speaking, it's got a lot of gameplay stacked on top of the primary mechanism of Hidden Trader. And it's all to manage the threat track and the civil unrest tracks, each of which need to be kept in check if players are going to win. This game is stuffed with minis, cards, asymmetric characters, gorgeous art. My impression of it's got, it feels like a game that's trying to be the top of its class. In its genre. Like, okay. like if you're talking civilization builders, for me, through the ages, new story of civilization, that's the pinnacle. That's that's king right. of that hill, right? Uh, area control games with a little bit of politicking, you know my pick. Twilight Imperium, I think that is right. the, the game that all the other ones want to be, right? Patriots got the bells and whistles to be the best of those hidden role games, but I actually had the chance to reach out to the designer, they were showing me how to play it on online, and you know what, he actually submitted some audio, so I wanted to, uh, rather than go into some finer details, we're actually going to take this one over to Anthony from Wild Robot Games, who was kind enough to send us a little audio preview of what to expect, so who better to hear it from, huh? Okay.
1: In a crumbling world, you stand defiant. You must contain civil unrest to prevent war. It's up to you to push society to greater heights. However, trust
3: must be earned. On the brink of civil war, the president has been delivered five demands from an assassin.
0: Each demand contained in a letter. Five letters,
1: five threats, five days to die.
3: Hey everyone, my name is Anthony and I'm one of the creators of Patriot. I'm with Wild Robot Games. Thanks Patrick, thanks Scott, and thanks to the team at Level Up for inviting me to the show. Patriot is my expression of love for board games. It's a one to six play game that's been six years in creation, and there are hundreds of unique pieces of art and unique game mechanics to back it up. In Patriot, you're one of the president's closest allies in a country called Carmonia. This country, well, it's seen better days. To make matters harder, at the start of the game you receive an allegiance card which tells you whether you're the secret assassin or whether you're trying to save the president. You choose one of the 15 characters in the game and play to their strengths and weaknesses. And we highly encourage you to play the character's unique backstories too, there's some interesting ones. So a bit about why I made this? Well. I'm a huge fan of Fantasy Flight's version of Battlestar Galactica, and also, you know, who doesn't love Dead of Winter? These social deduction games that we've played so often bring a certain intensity into the room that no other games have been able to replicate. And I really wanted Patriot to act the same way, The game is so full of intense battles with players and the board, you never really know which way the game will go because you've got rioters at your doorstep, an assassin in the ranks, you're trying to advance science in the country, and you have just under 100 story filled cards that can change the play of the game after every turn. We're super excited to launch Patriot on Kickstarter on October 5th and we hope you can join us. We actually have some cool Kickstarter exclusives, like a new president, and something even cooler. Every backer has the chance of becoming one of the 16 characters in the game. We'll work with you to build out the fun character abilities, your backstory, and we'll even give you a character campaign. Now, before I wrap up, I thought it would be fun to put Patrick and Scott on the spot. I want to know what your favourite social deduction board game is, guys. What do you like about them, and what do you dislike about them? All right. Thanks, everyone. That's all from me. And I hope to see you all at our Kickstarter on October 5th. Back to you, Level Up.
0: Adventures, I'm telling you, this is one to keep your eyes open for if you're a fan of Hidden Trader games. You know, it's got our, our first review game.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. It was uh, Shadows Over Camelot. There
0: you go. Hidden Trader, And we liked that one. I can't wait for you to get it. Get it. Just get this thing to the table with me. Get three, three, four more people and get to playing it. I think it's, like I said, it's got everything in it that I would expect to see. It's got game piled on top of that hidden traitor. I can't wait to play it with you. That said, Anthony asks, our
1: favorite social deduction game. You want to take the floor? Uh, that one is very simple for me. They've redone it, but I go back to the original one. And that is Battlestar Galactica. I absolutely loved the IP that it was based on. I loved the game. You felt like you were in the game playing that. And mm-hmm. that was, it was just such a thematic thing. And then sitting there figuring out who's a Cylon, who isn't. And really just like giving a stink eye at somebody during the whole game. Oh, great times there. Batt- uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yours. What? What is yours?
0: Well, I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna cheat a little bit. I wrote up a diatribe here, and uh, I didn't use battle style. I used I, Yeah, no, I, I used unfathomable as my example in this uh, because when I hear social deduction, I think social deduction. You're trying to deduce through the use of of the the spoken word, right? And when I think of something like Shadows of Camelot, I think that's more of a hidden traitor because the yes, there's deduction, but it's done mechanically, not not socially, right?
1: Hmm. True.
0: So, I took this as what's my strictly favorite, like my favorite strictly social deduction. And honestly, that's kind of tough because I don't particularly care for straight up social deduction. I usually avoid them, but I will say from time to time, it is a lot of fun to get in a game of werewolf. So, I'll go with werewolf. But my cheat whenever I say, you know what, not strictly social deduction. If I could just use hidden trader things like your, like your BSG or unfathomable, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go with stuff of legend.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, a
0: couple things made it stand out uh, because he asked, well, what makes it so good? The theme's charming. Uh, You get to play as the toys of a little boy and you're banding together to protect this little boy from the nightmare, right? That's just unique and different. And second, I I like that similar to Patriot, the deduction is subtle. It's kind of hard to detect someone throughout play and it actually gives the person who is the traitor their own like – Okay, how far is too far? What can I get away with? Right, you got to be really keen to start like taking mental note of who's involved when things go sideways. And you know what? I said it after our Origins episode. I played this game with complete strangers, and by mm-hmm. the end of it, we had that magical moment where everyone's standing up, waiting for the roll and hall. Ho- we we had to vote on like the one person was like, "I think we should do this," and the other person, "No, I think we should do that." So our resolution likes we did the um. Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator, where we all put a thumb out oh. halfway. Okay, one, <laughs> two, three, vote. And the votes have – there's cheering going on. And like everybody's looking over at the table. It's, it's something that – I'll never forget, and I'll always be trying to replicate when I get a copy. But yeah, that stuff of legend would be my favorite. Adventures, keep your eyes open for Patriot. It's looking to become a Kickstarter in the very near future, and I think it's one to keep an eye on. So a a bit of a recent adventure on the horizon from me.
1: What you got, Scott? Well, mine actually came last episode or the episode before, but due to my inability to read my computer and figure out what i'm doing (laughs) we lost all the audio so hey i'm gonna go through it again this was a gift that was given to me from our friend uh teacher ryan
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: i got it from gen con and that game is kites yes so designed by kevin hamano from floodgate games i am a huge kite aficionado i love kites i mean Started out as a kid flying those one line kites you get for what five bucks at a drugstore or something, Uh up to now I have four line kites that I'm flying and all sorts of stuff like that. It's can you make them do like loop de loops and stuff? Oh gosh, yes, yes, yes. I have ones that will lift me up off the ground actually. Wait, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. What if it what if you're at the beach and it like how far can it carry you? Uh, I'm not that far. I mean, you just have to keep your head amongst uh on yourself there and. Just direct it back down. So,
0: what if it's like Sarah using it? She's she's one third your size. What
3: if she? It would
1: not be recommended for her to, to <laughs> do that.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I have ones that I could sit down on the ground, and oh, I want to get up and do something. I can just maneuver it around, and it will pick me up and It'll stand me up, and then I walk away. So, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Kites is a cooperative game here, where you're trying to keep six kites up in the air Mm -hmm. now then in order to do this you have six different timers so you have a red a blue a purple a yellow an orange and a white each one of these timers is a different amount of time i believe i don't have the rule book right in front of me but i want to say i believe the one is a minute and a half and the shortest one is 30 seconds yeah that sounds about right So you flip over the white timer to start the game. You Mm -hmm. will have a hand of cards and you're trying to get through the entire deck before someone messes up and you miss the timer and it runs out of time. On the cards, you will have ones that will be either one color or two colors on the top corner of the card that you have. Mm -hmm. So you can have a blue card. I'm going to play a blue card. I'm going to flip over the blue timer. So you want to time it out. So you're keeping an eye on the blue one. So you flip it over before it gets, you want it to get pretty low. So whenever you flip it over, you got got a lot more time. time Sure. But while you're doing that, the red one, which may be a lot quicker, is going down a lot quicker. So the person next to you is going, hey, Patrick, Patrick, you want to play that blue? (laughs) You want to play that blue one? Do you see that red one coming down there? I don't have a blue. So you got to play the blue. I got to play the red. So there's all this kind of like anxiety, anxiety of to make that's where sure you get this. You have one that will flip over one card. Some cards have two colors on it. Well, hey, guess what? You get to flip over two of the timers. But then whenever you're playing that, maybe you're flipping over one, it's almost done, and you're flipping over another one that was just flipped over. Oh, that's wait, no good. We don't have a lot of time now. So it's really a balancing act of making sure that you get everything there. We got through it rather quickly. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Now, we talked about it that we ought to play it with not talking, because you're allowed to talk during this. Mm -hmm. So not saying a word or anything does make it a whole new type of game. Plus, they also have three other little sets of cards you can put in there that give you different rules. Yeah, I like those. Well, one of them is you can't talk. Ah, once again I don't have a and that right that can't
0: talk one that's strictly like for this round of plays like the next yes. four plays we gotta be quiet it's not the entire game which we tried and and successfully pulled off
1: that we did that we did uh no well the one was a thunderstorm
0: I think whenever it uh, gets flipped up you'd have to take all the timers and flip them over right I think So basically, whatever time you had left, reverse it.
1: Yes, yes. And then there was another one with a tree where you skip your turn or something like that, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. It's not a deep game, but it's a nice, fun game that you can play with basically anybody. Anyone can look at the timer and see how much time is left. Anyone knows what the colors are. Even if you're colorblind, they have different symbols on them as well, too, to make that easy for you to play as well. It's a fun, light little game there. You're not gonna make this a cornerstone of game night or anything, but it's a nice game to get things started or maybe play whenever it's the end of the night and you're just kind of wrapping up. So Kites, absolutely love it. And Ryan, I thank you. One of the most popular games in the hobby and the oldest in the BGG top 100 is crokinole and at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh yeah! Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott.
0: And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best Crokinole accessories I have ever seen.
1: The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively Uh for Adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com.
0: So a couple of weeks ago, my wife was in Oregon for work for a few weeks, so I'm at home minding my daughter and doing all sorts of fun summer stuff with her, right? You know, the Mm -hmm. bike, etc. Uh, Anyway, she gets to bed around 8.30 or so. So I go downstairs usually around 9 and I have an hour or two before I call it a night myself. And on one particular evening, I got a message from good old hungry gamer demanding that I play a game, not ask. He's like, you need to play this game with me. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I will play this game with you. So we set up a date night, and we fired up TTS, and we played some Super Snipers. Here's another one that is sort of a recent adventure on the horizon. Not out yet, but one that I want adventurers to, to keep their ears on the ground. To the
1: Where do you keep your ears? when you Ear wanna... to the ground.
0: I feel like there's something to do with train tracks here.
1: Yes, yes. That's okay. the way you could always tell whenever there's a train coming. Whenever you put your ear to the train track and then it runs over you, you know the train's coming. <laughs>
0: is designed by Galen McCown of Galen's Games. I think it's coming to Kickstarter at some point at the end of the year. might be early next year. I'm not certain. But when it does, we'll make sure to give you an update. Uh, I'd asked Galen if he'd give us a rundown of this one. So I'm making it easy on myself this week. Let's yes, take it over to are. Galen.
2: Hi, my name is Galen McCown and I am the designer of Super Snipers. Uh, Super Snipers is a one-to-two-player dueling sniper game uh, that features easy-to-pick-up rules, fast and intense gameplay, simultaneous turns, virtually no downtime, and a familiar Tetris mechanic used in a novel and exciting way. In Super Snipers, you and your opponent will be racing to first find the other's hiding spot, then isolate any innocent bystanders, and finally use your skills to take them out before they do the same to you. The first player to do this three times will be the winner. The game uses polyominoes, aka Tetris pieces, uh, called focus to represent the act of focusing and taking the shot. The game takes place in a post-apocalyptic setting uh, where you and your opponent are super snipers. These are genetically and cybernetically enhanced super soldiers from the last Great War, but now acting as mercenaries. And you've been tasked with taking one another out. The game takes place over three phases. Hiding locating, and then targeting. So in the hiding phase, you and your opponent take uh, discs that you're going to place face down in front of your opponent's locations. The game starts with three locations out on the map, and uh, two of your discs will represent misses where you're not, and one will represent where you are. Uh, That's it for the hiding phase. For the next phase is the locate phase. This is where you'll actually be using the focus of the game. So focus are the polyominoes, You're going to be taking those uh, from your line of sight, which is basically a conveyor belt of three focus that you're replenishing from a bag. And you're going to take those and you're going to use them on your locate grids to attempt to isolate the central crosshairs and search the location. So once you've blocked off those central crosshairs from the borders, you can flip the disc in front and determine if you've found your opponent or not. Along the way, uh, by covering uh, specific tiles with the right color focus, you can earn surveillance, which are pieces that you will place to the left of your board, and you'll be able to use those when you get to the target phase. This is a little bit of a catch-up mechanism. Even if you are taking longer to locate your opponent than they do to you, once you get there, uh, you'll be able to catch up more quickly if you've been getting surveillance. Uh, So once you've located your opponent, you'll take the target that corresponds with the location where you found them, and you're going to place that in uh, what's called a scope board. And this is a a recess board that kind of looks like you're looking through a scope, and you're going to place that down. Uh, You're going to populate it with innocent bystanders. So these will be little yellow meeples. They'll go on uh, specific innocent bystander spaces, and you're going to put your target in the primary target area. Uh, during this phase, you're going to, again, take simultaneous turns. You're going to be placing from your line of sight, and you're attempting to isolate all the innocent bystanders by cutting them off from the borders and by the from the primary target. And then you're attempting to isolate your primary target within what's called the kill box, which is a smaller central rectangle in the middle of the grid. Once you've done both those things, you place your bullet polyomino, which is a special three uh, square shaped polyomino that you have to be able to fit over them, and you make the kill. There are also bonus squares uh, that allow you to earn bonus abilities that you can use to do things like start a new chain of focus. So right in the basics of the game, you use focus and you have to place matching colors orthogonally to one another, and you have to start from an edge. So you can use the concentrate bonus to start a new chain from an edge of a color without having to connect it orthogonally. Uh, There's an exchange bonus, which basically puts out an extra piece that you can exchange between your hand and that. And then there's the move bonus, which allows you to either kind of move something that you've already put down or steal a piece from your opponent's line of sight and put it at the front of yours. In addition, you have the ability to recalibrate, which allows you to remove a piece that you've previously placed or discard the front piece from your own line of sight. Once a winner of a round has been decided, this is where the really unique part of the game comes in. The winner of the game loses the location they were hiding at. So basically it is compromised. Uh, You know, we heard the shot, we sent people in, and so that location is removed from the game for the remainder of the game. So in the following rounds... The opponent will only have, after the first round, two locations to search at instead of three. So there's a little bit of a catch-up mechanism there. Also, um, the locations and targets are of different difficulties. So you may hide at a really difficult location, but if you're successful, you will never be able to use that location again in the game. Additionally, the loser of the round gains what's called adrenaline, uh, which will give them an extra bonus power that they can use, an adrenaline ability the next time, as well as a uniquely shaped polyomino that they can place anywhere on the grid. So there's some pretty strong catch-up mechanisms in the game. Each character in the game has uh, a unique game-breaking power that breaks some fundamental rule of the game. And that's it.
0: And with that, we have the unofficial most abrupt ending to a (laughs) walkthrough ever. (laughs) Thank you so much, Gan. Thanks for joining the show. Okay. First things first, Scott, this game rocks. (laughs) It's it's really good. Okay. Let's start here. The use of the polyomino piece. So, Ganon was uh, talking about it. You have three different locations where you're going to be hiding out, right? You get to put your three cards down and one of them designates where you are so you've got your three i've got my three uh locations that is i take my three cards and one of them says you found me right and i place them underneath the locations in front of you and then you do the same for me right simple okay we're gonna take turns picking out polyomino pieces like you have a line of three that shows like here's your next one and then these two are on deck and whenever you place one you slide them over and pull a new one out of the bag simple right you're placing these polyomino pieces onto the location boards, whichever one you want, and you're trying to basically like put a border around the one target spot in the middle. All right. When you do, you're allowed to look at the card that I placed there. It's either gonna say oh, "I'm not here" or "You found me," right? All the while, I'm trying to do the same thing. Uh, maybe we both get a miss on our first location, or it takes maybe one of us finds the other one on the first one that they tried. Great, go you. What's going to happen then is instead of looking at the location boards, since you found me, you now get to pull out the target board. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was hiding in location two and you blocked off my, the, the little center target piece. And ah, look, you flipped the card. That's where I am. You're going to pull out board number two. And it's just a little board. You put it, uh, it's like an overlay onto your main board. And this mm-hmm. is the scope. And there's two little meeple symbols, right? Those are the innocent bystanders. So now on your turn, I'm still trying to find you. I'm still going to be placing on those locations until I find you. On your turn, you're pulling polyominoes and you're trying to – that same thing about like making a border around – you're trying to make a border around the two meeple symbols, the innocent bystanders Mm because you don't want to shoot them and then – Put it around the target piece, me. Get a border around me as well. And once you've done all three, and you know, if there's two meeples, all three of those criteria, then you've officially, you know, you shot me. You took the shot and you got me.
2: Ow! You shot me, you
1: a-hole!
0: Mm-hmm. So the balancing of the game there is, okay, you scored one point. You want to shoot the other guy three times to win the game. The balancing is, I know where you shot from. My main – whether it's me, I wow, I just got shot and I know you're over there. Or like my general is like, oh, we lost a soldier over here. Whatever the case is, your location that you were hiding at, you can no longer use. So now you're down a location. It's just – it's a great back and forth. And the emulation of like zooming in, honing in on your target. Yeah. The use of polyominoes, it felt – Really, really good. Now, when Will and I played, we went through the game mechanically, sort of uh, uh, taking the simultaneous turns and sort of talking about what we were doing. But when Mm -hmm. we finished, Will's like, oh, yeah, by the way, this game's going to have sand timers so that you play in real time for added tension. And I was (laughs) like, what? (laughs) That sounds entirely amazing. The idea that you have an intriguing, stressful situation that you can make even more stressful, like get players on the edge of their seat. Dude, I can't wait to get this game on the table at some of our meetups. It's a quick one-on-one, and I think it's going to go over really well.
1: Yeah, this is one that I look at that can really draw people in and have a good time with. Easy to teach, but it still has that strategy of trying to narrow things down. It -hmm. feels almost like if someone gave... Like, growth hormones to Battleship.
0: I had no idea where you were going there. But, yes. Just a whole know, idea you know, of like, weird it's way, Battleship, yes.
1: but, hey, let's give it steroids here and take it to a new level.
0: And you know what? There's some clever use of the simple Leia polyomino mechanism. So, there's different color polyominoes, and as you're trying to cover up spots on the board – there are symbols of those polyomino colors. So like if I can cover the red spot with a red Tetris shape, well then also I'm going to get to unlock this little bonus, which lets me one time I can double place, you know, or one time I can switch two of my pieces on one of my boards. Those little things that add a little bit of like gamesmanship to the game, I thought were really clever and they they really did take it from, okay, we're just placing pieces until we – block each other off like it removes the luck factor of who found the other guy first and it does add some strategy into the game that said uh simple enough to teach you're right easy enough to teach easy enough to pick up you're going to be two placements into the game and you're going to know exactly what to do and i'm looking forward to this one adventurers keep your ears on the (laughs) train tracks (laughs) for super snipers
1: it's that time again, isn't it? Yes, it is. Top 100. You ready, Scott? I am all set. Let's okay. hear it. Big one. Big
0: one. Prime Mover. A big change in the top 10. Arc Nova. It went from seven to six, and it took a while to do that, and then it immediately went up to number four. Ark Nova's up
1: to four. Wow. Yeah, I just played that last Thursday again, and I, I know I haven't gotten a number of plays in it. You did. I do enjoy it. It's it's one of those games that I think you really do get to the point where the more you play it, the more you feel able to breathe and get used to being in your skin playing that game. And uh, it really does shine the more you play that game.
0: So if it went up to number four, what did it bump out of the way? That'd be Terraforming Mars and Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which are now at six and five, respectively. Another change in the top ten. Spirit Island was number ten. It's doing a dance with War of the Ring, second edition, which pops back into the top ten, bumping out Spirit Island. Okay. Highest peaks, we've got Android Netrunner. Now, there's a weird one. Up to to number 66, and Beyond the Sun is up to to number 96. Falling Stars, we've got a few that are uh, looking like they're going to be on their way out sometime soon. Trois or Troyes for those of us in southwestern Pennsylvania. <laughs> down two to number ninety-four. Lord of the Rings: Journey in Middle Earth. Down two to number ninety-seven. And Twilight Imperium Third Edition. Down three to number ninety-eight. It's times limited, and that's not uncommon for whenever a game gets a new edition, the old edition starts to kind of kind of
1: cycle out, right? Oh yes, yes, most definitely.
0: Speaking of which, Top 100 debuts, Great Western Trail 2nd Edition has cracked the Top 100. It's at number 92, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see 1st Edition start to kind of taper off a little bit. Oh,
1: yes, certainly.
0: Happy birthday goes to the gallerist. Six years. Wow. All right, adventurers, it's walkthrough time. And today we're talking about a 2022 game from Smirk and Dagger designed by Andy Kim called The Spill. Now, this is a cooperative game for one to four players about protecting marine life from and containing an oil spill. Now, before walking through turns and the general flow of the game, I want to talk about how the game escalates danger. In the middle of the board, there's an assembled cardboard grid of four squares, and in the center of it is basically a dice tower. Now, when dice are dropped into this tower, they're going to randomly disperse into the four squares of the cardboard grid, which represents quadrants on the board. These dice go to specific parts of the quadrant based on the number shown on the die. The oil in the game is represented by black dice pulled out of the bag. And as the game progresses, more and more dice are dropped into the tower at the start of each turn, so they're constantly being distributed to the 24 spaces amongst the four quadrants on the board. Okay, so now we understand the dice-distributing tower, let's talk about the game. At the start of play, the players choose an endgame goal card from a stack of 12. Plus, they set the difficulty of the game. Basically, the harder the difficulty, the more dice need to be dropped into the tower at the start of each turn. Now each player is going to get to pick one of eight specialists, each of which have their own asymmetric ability. And the board's going to begin with all 36 animal tiles. Six tiles for each of six different animals, each in their starting locations. Finally, eight black dice are dropped into the tower for starting oil, and the remaining dice are placed into a draw bag, along with four blue weather dice, which typically add a temporary hindrance when they're drawn. Now, the turn structure of the spill is actually quite simple. You begin your turn by drawing a number of dice from the bag and dropping them into the tower, allocating them to their appropriate spaces in their quadrants. Then you have four action points to spend. You can spend a point to move your boat, your player piece, up to two spaces around the outside of the board. You can spend a point to rescue an animal token, or two points if it is contaminated. You can push back a die, basically returning one to the bag, or spend three action points to take one off the board entirely, which has some benefit. See any time three dice are removed from the game entirely, or any time a set of animals, one of each type, has been rescued, then the players earn an orange cube. You see, at the start of play, four resource cards are selected that give special abilities and are only triggered when orange cubes are placed on them. One of these cards, for example, might have a space that, if you allocate just one cube to the card, you can remove an oil die for free. But if you allocate three orange cubes, you can remove four oil dice. As there are four of these cards available from the start of play, they provide some interesting options for the players to make as a team. Finally, I should point out that you may take up to two additional actions on your turn, but for each additional action taken, the next player is going to have to drop an additional oil die into the tower at the start of their turn. So how does the danger increase? Well, any time a space on the board gets its third oil die, that's called a spill out. So if quadrant one has two dice in the four pip spot, and then another die is rolled and it's going to go in the four spot, that's going to be a spillout. The threat meter will increase, which often means players are going to have to draw even more cubes from the bag at the beginning of each turn. Play will continue around the table until players win or lose. The game is lost if either six spillouts occur, one of each of the six different animal types has been removed to bay, or if bay has three of the same animal type. On the other hand, if players meet the three criteria of their endgame objective card, which oftentimes involves rescuing a number of animals or removing oil dice, then they'll win. Now, this is where we usually state that there's more to the game than our walkthrough goes over, but honestly, that's a pretty thorough explanation of the spill. Again, your endgame does depend on what you select from that deck of 12, plus you can adjust the difficulty as well as mix up specialists, so make no mistake, the game's a bit deeper than its simple rule set. So how did we feel about this one? You know what time it is. Let's get on with the 8-bit breakdown of The
1: Spill. Offshore rig, Deep Well 4 has blown out and the rupture is spilling crude oil into the ocean at an alarming rate. Your response team must work together, using your individual talents to avert an ecological disaster. One which threatens to contaminate marine life and devastate the ecosystem. The situation is dire and escalating by the minute, so there's no time to waste. Contain the oil flowing from the rig. Remove what oil you can from the waters. Rescue the marine animals. The world is watching. The fate of the coast is in your hands. We're doing one of those Dawn commercials and we're going out to the ocean and trying to clean up sea creatures and oil mm. all over the place mm. there. So, yeah, I love how Dawn commercials really tug at your heartstrings when it's like, alright, you're just Doing something that I mean used to clean my dishes.
0: Yes, they, they don't anyway. show us scrubbing the pan. No, they show them cleaning <laughs> off a, a, a seagull or something.
1: But yes, the spill is a new entry here. It's a little clone of Pandemic in a way, but with some little twists. But we're going to break it down into our eight-bit breakdown as we do with all our review games. Yeah. So let's start it off with number one: the art and components. Do you want to lead us off, Patrick? Sure.
0: Uh, We've got a nice big, colorful board. Uh, It's got colorful sea animal tiles and things got a metric ton of dice. There got to be like 80 black dice and the four blue weather dice in there as well. I like that. I'm going to call it probably three different things throughout our review, but uh, dice distributor in the middle. So if you've seen a picture of the spill, you've got uh, this distribution system in the middle of the board is is – We'll say segmented into four quadrants. And their means of doing that is if you've got a little grid, like a, a little box made out of cardboard. And in the middle of it sits this tower, kind of like an a oil dice rig. Tower. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's meant to be an oil rig. And you drop the dice in the top and they, they funnel down through to the middle and they funnel down to the bottom, which is just like a curved top. And from there, they'll bounce and plink plunk into the four different quadrants. Really cool component there. Uh, it's nice that it's. It's going to be random. It's it's unpredictable, and, and frankly, I think it is an excellent element in the game. Not only do dice pips matter, but that quadrant is important. So, what a clever way to give a nice, usually even distribution. That's still going to give you a lot of variance from play to play. Uh, the art, I thought, you know, frankly, there's not a lot. I mean, the the animal tiles, it's they're small. It's just a Like an animal on a tile, like a symbol. It's not even a picture of an animal, it's a symbol of of the animal. They have some color, like they're intuitive. I like them, but it's not like, holy cow, did you see that pelican tile? (laughs) Wow, they they (laughs) went overboard there. Uh, You got some kind of simple art for your character on each player board. And I like the nice little boat meeple for each player. I thought that was a nice touch. Anything to add? Art and components?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the artwork, I love the colors. The Mm. colors for this really make it, it sounds silly when I say this, but it really makes it pop. It stands out on the table. I have a thing about the color blue. Don't ask me why. It makes me feel calm. Why it makes me feel calm playing this game, I don't know, because I've never been more stressed in a game than playing this damn game. It's a tense one. Yes, but uh, the oil rig is a great thing, and it's such a unique thing it it reminds me a little bit of castle panic where you roll to see where you're going to be bringing in enemies like what sector you're going to be bringing them in on but they did it in such a way that is unique how you drop them down there and it goes in four different ways so it's going to be different each and every time you play this game
0: Bit number two, we focus on the theme and immersion. Scott, we've got a theme where we're out to contain this spill and save the marine life that it threatens. I thought they did a really good job of capturing it, and they did so in a couple of ways. First, the random expansion of the oil dice onto the board. It's hectic. It is Mm -hmm. relentless. And, brother, it gives you a sense of rising pressure.
1: Most definitely. I mean, that's one of the biggest things I didn't want to go into it in the first bit there, but yes, it gives you that randomness that you have no idea. You can't really plan for this game. Right. You Just know that you need to play risk management as best as you possibly can. You can try and think that, Oh, Oh, we're in good shape over here. This, this will work out well, but once you do that, Nope. It, the game's going to just say, Hey, no, you're wrong. I'm going to hurt you for thinking that you had one up on me.
0: Yeah, there are times in co-ops where the game slaps you back. In The Spill, there are times when it punches you back. Oh, And yes. It is relentless at times. That said, I also thought they did a really good job of capturing the theme with the animals being double-sided. The little tokens are double-sided, so if oil, if an oil die would go onto where there's an animal token, you flip it over. It's contaminated. It's got oil on it, right? you got to get it off of there this turn, or get the oil off of it, or it's going to sick bay. It's done right? And you can't have too many animals. You can't have, a, a, what, a three of the same animal and you can't have so many sets of animals. There's six different types in the game and you can't see like a full set or two full sets go into sick bay depending on your criteria for the the game that you're playing. There are different end game goals. I think because there are multiple pressure points, players are constantly trying to come up with what to do next and how they're going to be able to contain the disaster. The dice get dropped into that oil rig And everyone leans in, right? Table talk. Mm -hmm. Table talk happens. I think you've got a unique and interesting theme. And when you couple that with the rising tension, I think they did a good job of evoking the theme in the game.
1: I did like how they had the double-sided animal tiles because that gives you hope in a game that really just puts hope under its heel and squashes it. Yeah, we can save him. He's just got to get a little dirty first. <laughs> <laughs> they did a great job with this. You really feel the theme of the oil going out in random ways. There's, it's not going to go out just in this direction. It's going to go out this direction, then curve off to the right a little bit, and then curve off again. And then, what is, no then what's then what's the
0: that? pip? So you might get three different uh, three different quadrants when you drop the dice in, but the pips might not cooperate, or they might all go into one quadrant and they all come up yes. a, a three. There's no way to plan for that.
1: No, no, there is not at all. So that kind of gets you in the whole idea of if you were actually working on an oil spill, You've got so many forces with uh, the with the current of the water, wind speed. Is there a migration path going through there of a certain type of animal? You have so many different things going on that you have to work with. They do a great job of making that happen here with you in that you have everything in front of you, but you have to figure out a way to work with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now then, uh, bit number three, complexity. I didn't think this is really that complex of a game as more as it was an anxiety-ridden game. <laughs> um It's pretty simple. I mean, everything is labeled on your little cards there of what role you're going to be playing, what your tools are, what you can do special to other people. So everything is written out on the player board you have in front of you. Maybe an occasional look back at the rule book here and there, but I didn't think it was really that hard of a game to get into. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. It's standard co-op difficulty. If you can handle Pandemic, you're going to be able to handle the spill. So let's move right on to bit number four, The Rulebook and the Learning Curve. I did the rulebook. We got a nice, colorful, large page rulebook with a ton of examples throughout. I don't think that there's anything that's going to be unclear after reading it through. Fortunately, it's not the world's most complex game. But even in those instances, sometimes a rulebook can screw it all up. And it doesn't here. And even though there aren't many icons in the game, it still has that index in the back for reference.
1: That is nice having that. And as normal, I'm on the learning curve side of this here. And learning it really wasn't that hard. It was one of those games where you can go into, now this part here is like Pandemic. This part here is like Castle Panic. You can use what you've learned before, put things together, and learn this game rather quickly. Yeah. The only thing that got me sometimes was the little tokens you have as to, like, whenever you use a power... Oh, you're thinking the Weather Dice. Yes, it was just something that didn't click the right way. I don't know what it was, but still, I was able to play through it and everything. But that was the only thing that was like something just didn't seem right there for me that was a little bit different. And I let that affect me a little bit more than I should have. Mm -hmm. But either way, I had a great time playing the game. You know what? That
0: actually took me for a a moment whenever I set it up and I was trying to learn. I just played it solo to learn it. And then I showed Jason and Jenny and uh, then I showed you guys at the shop it did take me a minute too, because I was like, well, "Why do we even have the tokens? The die just rolled. We know what it is. Yeah. That's their means of uh, so that everyone remembers because it's going to last for the weather effect is going to last for the entire round. So right. if it's a four player game and the person on my left rolls a weather die and it says it's going to take an extra action point to rescue an animal, well, by the time it gets to me, we've added more dice, we've done a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not going to necessarily remember." So that's why they right. give you those tokens. Oh, look, my tokens the yellow side up. Uh, don't forget Pat, you're still beholden to that stipulation. Mm-hmm. We're still mm-hmm. in the And then whenever it gets back to the person on my left, well they already flipped their token back over to its refresh side <laughs> and they're back to back to normal. Uh and in most games you're only going to see the weather dice 3 or 4 times. So uh, I think that's why they did that. It's just sort of a uh,
1: on your player board reminder. That makes sense. Makes sense definitely.
0: Bit number five is the meat of the game. Scott, where's the meat in the spill? Do they spill the
1: meat? Well, it's, to tell you the truth, I can't think of anything that's really meaty with this game. I mean, the whole thing is so well intertwined with each other. I, I can't think of anything really sticking out. The only thing that really sticks out to me as being the meatiest part of the game is your characters that you get to play. Each one has a special power, and that makes it very important for you to be able to work well with each other. That is the best way for you to possibly be successful in this game. That would be my idea of the meat of the game, knowing how the synergy between your characters works the best. Okay, yeah, I like that. I went a little bit
0: more simple because I think you're right. It's a little bit of everywhere. It's more of a uh, – we'll say a series of tactical decisions than one grandiose strategy. If you're going to have a bigger strategy, it's going to come down to trying to cater to your endgame targets. Mm-hmm. Um, so most co-ops or several co-ops anyway, it comes down to managing threat, be it a virus right, or, right. or people coming onto your island. Uh, and that's no different here. The main differentiator in the spill is the tower that distributes the dice. It's going to be random. So in a game of Pandemic, you can eventually count on certain cards coming off the top of the deck. Same with Forbidden Island or or Desert. Like you can eventually say, okay, we know that we had to shuffle these and put them on top. So we don't know the order, but we know that that card is coming. In this spill, theoretically, you could have 70% of your dice just bombarding one quadrant put in more dice ah oh, two more over mm-hmm. on on scott's side put in three dice three more they all went to scott's side i know the game that we uh we played a, a couple times that one day and i was like guys we need dice to come to me you know my <laughs> my side's clear and they weren't distributing in my direction and you know what? that made for a very different game and something
1: else that you have to factor in in order to win yeah definitely no that leads into, do we want to have more of that same meal? Do we want to replay it some more? Is there a lot of variability in this game? Yes. I mean, the variability really comes from luck, I think, in the dice coming up. That like, is the dice a aspect. big factor. Yeah. Yeah. Because the variability, you're never going to play the same game twice, ever. And also, you have the endgame targets. You mm-hmm. have, what, 15 of them or something? Yeah, sounds about you right. You have different uh, ways of winning the game. The variable of the dice thrown in with the somewhat constant of what end goals you're trying to hit. So, yeah, it's going to be different each and every time you play the game. What were your thoughts on it?
0: I think you got the two big ones, but let's not forget the variable player powers is a thing. And there's more characters than you actually use in the game. So that is a factor. Plus the reward cards. Uh, Whenever you save a set of animals or remove through oil dice, you get to put one of those orange cubes onto a reward. What do they call it? A research card or uh, a resource card. So that's going to have something that you can do. Like one of them might say, you know, put an orange cube here. And once there are two orange cubes, any player can remove them. To remove an oil. Well, there's a whole bunch of different resource cards. and Some of the characters interact with them differently. Mm-hmm. So depending on who you pick, where the dice are going, what your resource cards are, what your end game targets are, <laughs> plus you can adjust the difficulty of the game depending on where you start that threat tracker. So on easy, it's going to be roll three, uh, put three dice into the tower each turn. And then once you hit a certain threshold, oh, no, now we got to put in four. Well, that hard tracker at the bottom, it's like you only get that twice at three. Oh, I know. And then it goes to four, and then it goes to five all the way up to six. Can you imagine dropping six dice in there? Oh, that was insane. So does this all make it a replayable game? You know it as much as any other co-op. I, I think I, I think there's certainly gonna there's enough here to keep me interested so long as there are more goal cards to strive to beat as well as combinations of characters to choose from i think eventually like all co-ops i think it might devolve into like a systemic approach where you develop a way to tackle it every time in order to have the best chance so, like um in spirit island you say oh no you, you don't get rid of those you prevent them from ever being built Like the the little explorers, they build a town. And that's one of the the things that you start to learn as you get better at that game is, okay, I don't need to worry about getting rid of the towns that are already there. I need to worry about getting rid of the explorers that are going to build a town next turn. Mm -hmm. Like a preventative measure is more effective. I think most co-ops have a point where you start to develop something that is a winning Maybe not a winning strategy, but at least a tactically smart thing to do every turn. And I suppose that could happen here, too. But, man, that random dice distribution, that's a curveball that you cannot factor for.
1: Absolutely not.
0: We've been talking a lot of good about the spill, but we come to bit number seven where we look at the downsides. What you got, Scott?
1: Well, my biggest downside was something that I think we ran into whenever we were playing this, and that is the oil rig.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Whenever we we put the oil rig together, there was something wrong with the plastic somewhere where it was tilted ever so slightly in one way. So that's going to end up making sure that dice sometimes go down another way. Now, granted, you have two different layers you're going to go through that will kind of even things out, but still it's... Just that little thing there, I think that probably had a lot to do with how it ended up that we got all the oil on one side. You know
0: what? I couldn't tell looking at it that there was any sort of tilt. So I don't just want to say, oh, yeah, that, that's that's clearly what it was. But like, <laughs> if we emulate – like in the two or three games that we played that day alone, if we emulated the, the situation like dropping in – we must drop 200 dice into that tower – Okay, so you would figure 50 per quadrant would be the average. I might have had 15 in my quadrant the whole – maybe 20, right? The the variance is just way too off for me to think, oh, yeah, no, that the tower was fine. And I think maybe we had like one side not set up quite –
1: like it wasn't pushed down all the way or something. Something goofy was happening. Also, if you do something where you're on a table that's uneven, so you could have an even thing with that – That's going to affect the distribution of the dice. Other than that, I mean, I can't really think of anything that's a downside. (laughs)
0: One of the shops in our area, uh, and I I love this shop, but one of the shops, like the floor is on an oh so slight tilt, like the whole (laughs) thing. And I understand it's in a very old part of the town that it's in. And I understand it used to be a theater in some way, shape or form. So the floor has like a five degree tilt. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna call that a downside with that shop and not with the spill yes, but i can just imagine go. trying to play it there speaking of which not a downside with the game but we'll say a downside with a personality type there's nothing preventing someone from quarterbacking the game here is there
1: um <laughs> i did not quarterback
0: uh, this one you take back that laughter
1: yeah, oh I, I you did not quarterback this game no you did not But no, I could definitely see that happen. If you are playing with a bunch of new people, uh, I think that's something that's inherent with cooperative games. If you have someone that's played a lot, they get in the idea of, I know what to do. We're going to win this game no matter what, no matter how bad these people are going to play. I'm going to tell them how to do things and we're going to win. So it, that's a, a downside with personality of a person you're playing with, I think.
0: We'll say that it is susceptible to that sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very much so. Let's bring it on home. Bit number eight. Was it fun? And who's it for? Scott, was this game fun?
1: Uh... Even because we lost <laughs> really bad in uh, the little octopuses and stingrays, I, I'm sorry that we weren't able to help you. I think
0: uh, of the South but- Park where they do the BP oil spill, and the guy's like, we're sorry.
3: Hello, I'm Tony Haywood, president and CEO of BP. Our accidental drilling spill again in the Gulf is a tragedy that should have never happened. And to all those affected, I want to say... We are deeply sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is definitely a fun game. I enjoyed it. It's taking the pandemic engineering and making it a new game. So it's, it's something new, but you're still familiar with mm-hmm.
0: it.
1: Who's it for? Whoever likes Pandemic. Uh, that's a great thing there come right into this, you know, probably 75% of the rules, you're ready to go. It's also good for people who are newer to gaming, where we said the downside might be one of those things where it's systemic with a person trying to quarterback it. Mm -hmm. This is also a nice one where maybe a little bit of quarterbacking will help them get into it. And then you will get a full rounded experience for the entire group then. Sure, sure. What did you think?
0: I thought it was fun. Uh, It's got all the trappings of many of the other co-ops that we've seen before but the fact that the threat is dispersed on the board in a random fashion the many many characters to choose from and the ability to not only adjust the difficulty but also to select end game goals makes it a game that I could see getting back to from time to time. It's Mm -hmm. got a genuine sense of tension. Like we said when things start to go sideways you have got to batten down the hatches and figure it out because it's not going to You're not going to write this ship just by chance. Things, you got to work together here. Now, co-ops, given the option, I'm going to play competitive over co-op almost every time. I like having a human element to compete against. Like, that's one more thing on top of the game. I don't necessarily like sitting down to play a co-op. This was engaging and I enjoyed it. Is it one that I'm going to be clamoring for every other game day? Probably not. But if someone's in the mood for a co-op game... I would pick this before some of the ones that we've all played a billion times. I would pick this before something that's a a little more generic or one that worse yet, that becomes calculative. Okay. Mm -hmm. We see, we know that XYZ is going to happen. So our best odds become doing, you know, A, B, C. I don't like that when a co-op game does that. And a lot of them do that. The spill fortunately does not. It's got a lot of good going for it in the way that its engine runs. Now, who's it for? Do you, do you like Pandemic? Uh, the Forbidden series? I mean, this is similar, but uh, it's definitely different, especially in theme. It's great for a game night where you have a couple folks that aren't in your regular hardcore group, huh? But you still want to get into something satisfying, something strategic. Uh, I don't think it's going to blow anyone away. Like, if your group loves Spirit Island, this is probably a step back. Not Not only in complexity, but the execution of its puzzle. It's just oh, not yes. as deep. This is a medium weight game. Finally, as it can, play solo as well. I think it's going to work for someone who only gets their group together like once a month or so. And when they're considering what do I want in my collection, they want things that they can indulge in solo. I think they're going to appreciate it for that too.
1: Yeah, I think you really nailed it on the head whenever you said about it will come back to the table sometimes. Mm. This is one that I don't want to play all the time. But I will always look forward to whenever someone brings it up to, hey, let's play The Spill. I'll always be there. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's get this out and do this again. I know I'm going to have a good time with it, but it's one that you have to temper with how many times it comes to the table. It comes to the table too often. You're going to get tired of it. It's going to be very samey. Once a month, once every two months, you're really going to look forward to it.
0: Now well, There you have it, adventures. the 8-bit breakdown of... The Spill. Catacombs is an award-winning cooperative board game set in the fantasy world of C-I-M-A-T-H-U-E.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay,
0: and you need skill and dexterity to master this fast-paced game. One player, the Overseer, marshals an army of monsters, while the others choose from six brave heroes who embark on a quest to save the town of Stormtren from the threat lurking in the catacombs below. As the heroes explore, they must use their abilities, buy items, and recruit allies to help them defeat the monsters before facing the powerful Catacomb Lord, Saving the town. Scott, one year ago today was Catacombs. This is a fun one. I, You know what? I constantly think, when's the next time I can get Catacombs to the table? And unfortunately, this last year, it hasn't happened.
1: Yeah, I, I agree because this is one that it seems like it was so much longer ago that we played this and reviewed it. It's one of those ones like we just talked about with Spill. It's one that you look forward to coming to the table But I don't think anybody's going to be the person to bring it up because they might think, oh, this is too simple for everyone to play. It's just more a dexterity type of game there. But once someone brings it up, everyone's just, yeah, let's do it. Let's play it.
0: I think it's a game that you're going to break out on the right weekend. I think last year we called it an event game. It's not something that you're going to like, let's play it. And like, you're not going to finish it and go, let's play again. Or when you're mm-hmm. done playing it on Friday, you're not going to meet again on, on Wednesday and be like, okay, let's, let's do catacombs again. You know what I mean? It's, it's an event kind of game. I think everybody has their one dexterity game that stands out as their favorite. I think for a lot of people, it's probably Crokinole, but like some people are, like, oh yeah, flick them up. We're playing some flick them up
1: for me. That's Catacombs. I had never played it before, and it's such a unique thing where you get the different monsters, you get the different heroes, you're eyeing up, like, the perfect shot off the corner to hit over here. Yeah, it is an event game. It's something that you do want to plan for, that you're like, hey, we're going to play Catacombs this weekend. Get ready. You get it out of your system, you let it go away. Mm -hmm. Then it just ages a little bit and comes back, and it's like, yeah, let's get that out again. So it, it definitely has that come back and play me again kind of feeling to it. I like
0: that for a disc flicking game, they found ways to introduce theme. Uh, and a yes. couple great examples. The Wizard has this massive fireball. So every disc, we'll say it's what, like half an inch? We'll say like a nickel. It's the size of a nickel, obviously, a little mm-hmm. bit taller off the board but he has this one disc it's for like a super fireball and it's like the size of a half dollar so you just <laughs> you know what? i'm using my card i'm going to i'm going to throw a fireball and you put that thing on and it's like man this thing's a wrecking ball i had uh, Rusan the chicken <laughs> one of my heroes oh, was the chicken you remember it is every yes. every hero has their own special ability so for the barbarian it's like it emulates swinging axes it's like flick 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 and you can do damage each time the chicken was like it can run away like crazy You get four flicks to like run and hide. The archer gets the, those little archer things that you get to shoot two at a time. Like they found ways to make each of the characters feel like they should in a standard dungeon crawl, but all executed through flicking discs. I really, really appreciate that in catacombs. I think it's about time we get together and play that again. I was going to use it for the PGX Expo because I was like, okay, what's a game that we can just have random people sit down and understand how to play? We don't have to spend 40 minutes teaching, right? If we're going to demo a game, it can't be something that we'll say video gamers predominantly are going to walk up to and be like, what's this? I can't be Mm -hmm. like, look, sit down for half an hour so I can teach you. They're going to check out.
1: Right, right, right. Can you put your middle finger behind your thumb and flick it? All right, you can play.
0: So I was going to take it one step further. You'll recall a couple of years ago I made I made a pair of croak. You might not recall this. You might not know this, but I actually I made crokinole boards. I, I sanded oh, wood no. down. Yeah, I used uh, Sanders buffers. Had to use the um. Uh, I. Fr- Whatever. I made Crokinole boards. But part of the fun of it is you get to put like the gloss on the board and then you use like a turtle wax and you buff it on there real good. And then you do it to the disc. And that's how they get that like – you know how a Crokinole disc you just like barely tap it and it's like almost like shuffleboard. It just keeps – I thought I want to get a big sheet, like a big board, like a four by eight board. And I want to sand it down. And then I want to paint it to make like scenery, like a river and a castle. All right. And then I want to gloss it. And then I want to wax it. Okay, make a nice, smooth, slick, like an ice skating rink board. All right. And I had this idea I was going to 3D print like a castle or a turret or a village or a bridge, like scenery. You know how in in base catacombs you have those little discs and they just sit and Mm -hmm. the insets on the board and that acts as like pillars in the game? I thought – Right. What if I'm, – dude, I'm telling you, we go to the pet shop and I'm looking at like the aquarium stuff and I'm like, I could use that treasure chest in catacombs on my giant board and make it like if somebody hits it, remove the treasure chest and they get to draw off the top of the deck, like customize the hell out of it. I think the next time we play catacombs – you know that table in my basement. You know the size of that yes. thing. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be the board. <laughs> it's going to get okay. insane. A year later, Scott, are we recommending Catacombs?
1: I would say yes. This is a game that is fun and silly, and you can't help but get some laughs out of playing this. And whenever I play a game, I want entertainment whenever I'm playing a game. And you get that from this game. Agreed.
0: And you know what, it works well with all ages too. You have the chance to break this one out with a younger crowd; right. they're going to understand how to play it. The only caveat, I guess, would be that you and I would both agree that it's probably not a weekly. It, it's not the old chestnut that you're breaking out right. It's not your no, stable. No. It's it's an event. Exactly.
1: Okay, adventurers. Whenever you come visit us at Level Up Game Podcast. Close. <laughs> LevelUpGamePodcast.com. You can ask us questions. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a thing that says, hey, ask us a question. It can be about anything. And sometimes those are fun. Those are silly things. Which favorite candy so, bar, Scott? Favorite candy bar? Hands down. It's the Reese's Crispy. I don't know what the hell it's called. It's just Reese's Crispy Candy Bar. The Fast Break? No, 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 no. It's just. The Nutrageous. Reese's crispy. No. No, You're making not, stuff outrageous. up. No, I'm not. It's at every sheets, and whatever it's not at a sheets, are you thinking I judge of a, that sheet harsh? Are you thinking of a Kit
0: Kat? No, I am not. Okay,
1: yeah, you know what? You've
0: we're going to start next
1: episode with what your favorite candy is. I will bar take is. a I picture of that, and I will put it out on social media so you everyone knows what it is. Anyway, we have gotten to the end of our questions here, and we got three more we want to get into. First one we have here, Josh asks, you mentioned a couple of episodes ago that you guys don't really do top 10 lists. Why not? Well, Patrick, why not?
0: Okay, this is a good one because you know what? I've thought about it a lot. There's always that, that struggle of, okay, we, we want more clicks, we want more listens. And I know for like the YouTube guys, people that do videos, one of the best performing videos that they can make is a top 10 list. It can be any top 10 list. That gets clicks. People are interested. We don't do that. and We both kind of decided a long time ago that we're not going to favor top 10. I think for us, it's because they're just not relevant unless you know the person who's giving their list inside and out. Mm -hmm. Uh, For that matter, unless the content creator is giving a top 10 list and also providing you a list of every single game that they've played in that category – I have no idea if something's being omitted because they didn't like it or because they just haven't played it. I know there's uh, one of the YouTube guys. I, I won't mention the name, but he's prominent in a lot of the Kickstarter, uh, in a lot of like Kickstarter preview pages. You see his name on there. Really cool guy. And I'm a fan. But uh, one of his things is, you know, I only talk about games that I like. So he's never going to have a review up or a playthrough up of games that he doesn't like. And that's all fine and dandy. So what if he doesn't have up, I don't know, pick a game the terracotta army yeah i don't know if he hasn't played it or if he doesn't like it like how do i calibrate knowing what the guy likes or not and i think that's kind of start part of the problem of what we were running into like people don't know every single game that i've played so if i leave something off of a list did they know that i haven't played they don't know that i haven't played it they might think that i think it's not a good game mm-hmm. And frankly, with a podcast, we don't need the clicks the way that YouTube does. We're not trying to monetize. So it's not something that, that I was ever particularly interested in doing. And you've never really, well, let's, let's caveat all of this right here. We do have a top 10 at the end of each year where we look at the top 10 games from that year, right? Right. right. Okay. So we do that, but that's because it is calibrated listeners know oh, okay so these are the 30 or 40 games they reviewed this year i know what we're picking from it's the same reason that we do our top five every 10 reviews so it's a way of saying okay you guys just did these 10 games which ones are the best and we don't have to mm-hmm. compare it with things that that we played years ago or leave something off because we haven't played it now you haven't brought it up either you know i, I ask you all the time you know what should we do for this episode what do you want to talk about what do we want to uh, have our discussion be and you've never said top 10 list why is that
1: Well, I think a lot of times, whenever you look at top 10 lists, it almost seems to be something related to the new hotness on BGG or something, Mm -hmm. where it ties into that. So it's going to be somewhat tainted by whatever is in the zeitgeist of gamers' minds at that point in time. We do our top games from the ones we reviewed. Mm -hmm. It's a small sample that we're drawing from, plus also, it's not like, this huge library we have to knock down into just a tiny little piece that we're putting everything together. Right, right. Now, something we could do, like a discussion sometime in the future, three games we would want on a deserted island or something like that, where we get into that, something that would go in the breadth of all the games that are available. It's more subjective where it's to us. Whereas you really nailed it on the head If you know the person well, you can kind of get into their idea of why they chose these games. Mm -hmm. I would like to think after 71 episodes, people have an idea of what we like, but still it's not, I don't think it's really giving that much of us saying, these are my top 10 games of all time. Let's do our, our top five games of the 10 we just did. That way there, you can go back and take a look at each one of those separately and get an idea what we like.
0: So if we want to do our top three games that we would want to have on a deserted island, is this completely deserted? Like you're the only person or do you have other gamers available to play with?
1: I just typed that up like late last night. I don't know. All right. Next question. What do you got? (laughs) All right. Steven asks. I have been tempted literally every week with the next big all-in Kickstarter. They look amazing with box after box of content. I always worry that if I don't pledge, Mm -hmm. I can really miss out on a gem, the old FOMO there. Do you guys indulge in these giant Kickstarters? If so, which has been your favorite so far? We're probably both a not really, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean... The most I went in on one was uh, for, I'm sorry, I still call it CMON, but come on, was Onk. Mm-hmm. And even then, I didn't go all in. I got a couple of the boxes. I got the play mat. But finances really have a big deal with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at, you're paying something where you may not have the finances at that moment for something you're not going to get for a year, a year and a half, maybe. So it it's tough to do that. So you want to definitely take a, night, a look at your finances, but so many times with really big star, big big kickstarters, you're able to find these conventions, and many times you can trade for them as well later on. Mm-hmm. I too i I like to to back smaller kickstarters. What was the one uh, the solo one for Northwood? Yeah, that one is a great little game. It's a solo game. I know I'm going to play that oh dear god i i gotta say the tiny epic games everyone that comes out i kickstart that one mm-hmm. because i know i'm not going to be breaking the bank to get it i know i'm going to get a, a really great little game an immense game for the amount of space that they put into that box and i know from past experience those come out for me quite a bit right so i know i'm going to enjoy that what are your thoughts on it
0: Well, I think oftentimes when I think of the big gigantic Kickstarter, it's typically going to be a campaign game or something with so much add-on content that you would have to play it weekly for for months on end, right? And while that sounds Mm -hmm. phenomenal, there was was a point where I had like on the shelves in my basement, I had Gloomhaven and I had Deep Madness and, you know, a couple of Mon games. Like eventually you hit a point where it's like, okay, I have got five mega – campaign games on the shelf Mm -hmm. and i get to play with like the same group of people once a month and i don't see us spending the next year on just one game and i've got five of them like at some point for me at some point fortunately very early the the bell went off like hey wait a minute you're never gonna play that uh and like you said finances are a factor you know there are excellent games that are affordable it's really hard to go 200 bucks on a game when you can get mm-hmm. five really good games that you you know you're going to get to play, you're going to rotate them in and out, uh, not taking as big a chance on them, right? And you get five of them. I do make an exception, uh, but they're typically going to be like slam dunk types of games like I backed the Nemesis uh, all in whenever they oh, had yes. lockdown coming out. And it's because I didn't back Nemesis. And I was saying, okay, Nemesis sells for – I think the original Kickstarter was, we'll say, 100 bucks, but it was selling for like $300. So when Lockdown mm-hmm. came out, I was like, okay, so Lockdown, I'll be able to sell it for more if I don't like it. I'll have Nemesis that I can sell if I want to break even. And best case scenario, they're going to be great games that will hold their value. So I look for that. Uh, I mentioned earlier War Room and ISS Vanguard. They're on the way. I'm confident that they're going to be good. And if it is good, it's going to hold its value. If it's not so great or just not for me, I'm still gonna be able to get my money back selling it on the secondhand market. So those tend to be where where I lean. I'll kickstart a small project too. Like you were saying with the tiny epics, like price is a factor. So like more reasonable prices for games that I've already played, like Magical Friends, Megapulse, Senjutsu, Top Pop quests and Canon. Some of the things that we've reviewed on this show, I know what I'm getting. I know I like it. And the price isn't crazy. Like we're at a point now where what I would consider a standard box game, like ticket to ride size box with some wooden bits, nothing over the top, you know, not Mm oodles, but just a standard game. They're $79.99 and then the shipping's $24. And it's like, wait a minute, right? that's a stand. that's $100. Like I can go on the Facebook used you know, like the board game exchange, and get three three games for that. I think I'm going to pass. It's becoming a lot easier to pass, uh, but hey, that's just me. I have a little junkie in me too.
1: <laughs> so why don't you hit us with the last question? Sure,
0: Chris asks, loving the variety, and just wanted to ask how you guys decide what to review each episode. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I don't know that this is really a group decision. <laughs> 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 um, I, okay, so. If, First off, I I would – I will say I choose most of the time Mm -hmm. and I don't mean to do that but I I just – I do. Um, More often than not, it's whatever we end up playing on Thursdays when we meet up and if it's something that we really enjoyed, it becomes a review game. Right? Sometimes we have to play on right, BGA right. for practical. Like when we did Barrage, you were in the middle of the Renaissance Festival and the auditioning and practicing. So it just made sense. Like, look, we're not going to be able to get together to play something. Exactly. What can we tap into on BGA? Like that's a way that we'll do it. Kickstarter comes in. Like Nemesis, we did that one because the Kickstarter came in. Well, we're going to be playing right. it anyway. Let's make it a review. And for that matter, it was relevant, which was excellent. Uh, sometimes we'll do a level back when we have the urge to like revisit an old game. And it just happens to be all that we played in between the last episode. And the the secret to that is that like sometimes, Scott, you'll play something like an older game with one of your groups. And I'm like, okay, you know what, I'll play with one of my groups since I'm not going to see you. And we'll just make it a level back because we don't have time to set up and learn and play something new together, right? That happens. And lately, we have had some games provided to the show, like Rise of the Gnomes, Burn Cycle, Veiled Fate. Uh, When that's the case, we try to prioritize getting those in as soon as possible. But on the other hand, like a review copy is not always going to be a review like the 8-bit breakdown game. Mantis Falls, Fired Up, Ivion. those come to mind. Sometimes they, they become an adventure on the horizon, that sort of thing. And sometimes it's just a game that's not quite grandiose enough. Like We try and make a review game something that's a little meatier. Uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. we just don't get to the table together and we have to rely on just one of us playing it. So it's like, okay, I'll make it, I'll make it one of my recent plays. Like that sort of thing happens, but I'm going to guess that you would agree with me. Typically it's just, what did we have a chance to play together?
1: Uh, yeah. And I think you really nailed something with the review copies in that whenever we get those as a thank you, I mean, that's something that they send to us to take a look at and review. And I think that's a great thing for us to do as a thank you to say, hey, thanks for giving the time and the money of sending us a, a copy here to take a look at in play and, and get that out there. So that's an important thing there to do. But I mostly go with what you bring up. Uh Like you said, you have some more time in the evening to a game to the table is I'm stuck a lot of times in hotel rooms whenever I'm out traveling for work and everything. Mm-hmm. The people I work with, they're not really gamers. Uh, so I might be, be just playing a solo game in my hotel room. Renaissance season is almost over, so I'll have my weekends back. So I'm hoping that I'll get more plays of things in that will allow me to get more games to review and get together with you and other people to play more games, more media games in order to add some more stuff to our list of games to review. So I
0: guess our answer for that one's kind of unexciting. It's just, well, what are we able to play? (laughs) What can we actually get together and do? Yeah, we're (laughs) just (laughs)
1: boring people. Well, Patrick, it's coming to the end of the episode.
0: Yes, it is. 71's drawing to a close.
1: Oh, it's time to do our level up for the, since the last time we were together, my level up was at the Renaissance Festival, we had two of our favorite patrons come visit us. Mm-hmm. Now, when they come and visit- I haven't shown up yet. Oh, oh, right. So there's three favorite people that we have come to the Renaissance Festival. Two of them showed up. Is that better? Much. All right. Uh <laughs> And each time that they come, it's humbling whenever they come there because they bring us gifts. And- they brought gifts. They brought uh, bracelets for the women on the court. They brought uh, hair decoration for the queen. They had little treasure chests with candy in there. Nice. They gifted me a a board game, Walls of York, okay. which uh, we're going to have to play here at some point in time. Heck, yeah. But it really gives you a great feeling knowing that we as the actors there are able to reach out and touch someone in in a way that brings them some happiness. And for that little bit of time, they just get to relax, have fun, smile, laugh a little bit, be with friends. And that is just such a wonderful feeling. And that is a huge, huge level up for me. How did you level up since the last time?
0: Well, I actually, I'm doing a little bit of demo and renovation for the vault. They're moving. They're moving like three doors down. They're going to be right next to the restaurant. They got a bigger store now, but they needed Whoa. a lot of things. So it used to be of all thi- Okay. It was an escape room. You remember that?
1: Oh, yes. It was was an escape
0: room. I did too, but I was doing demo. I'm taking apart these walls and like I'm finding like little cards. Like I find one. It's like, all right, comrade, you have 60 minutes to get. I was like, oh, yeah, this is an escape room. And then it was a hookah lounge of all things. And imagine that it didn't last. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> so i'm in there demoing and taking things apart and uh it's just kind of cool to be uh someone behind the scenes helping the shop uh, helping a friendly local game store upgrade so that is my level up
1: that sounds pretty gosh darn awesome there <laughs>
0: Hey, adventurers, one more time, October 1st and 2nd, catch us in Monroeville, PA, for the Pittsburgh Retro Gaming Convention. Get your retro video gaming on and come play some board games with us next week. Keep your ears open. We've got a special side quest for familiars and foes. Scott, till next time. Till
1: next time, my friend. Farewell. Farewell. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.